Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. These programs are based on the ministry of Witness Lee and his 21-year-long crowning work, The Life Study of the Bible. We'll include excerpts from his spoken ministry, which focuses on the enjoyment of Christ as the divine life as revealed in the Bible. We hope that through these studies, you'll be brought into a deeper enjoyment of the scriptures and of our dear and precious Lord Jesus. You can contact us by sending email to radio at lsm.org or reach us toll-free, 888-LIFE-STUDY. Now, let's join today's program. We've all heard of the city of Jericho. Actually, it was a city of curse in the time of the Lord Jesus. One of its inhabitants was a man of curse. His name was Zacchaeus, a tax collector, actually the chief tax collector, and in reality, an extortioner who had gotten rich by taking advantage of the inhabitants of the area. One day, as Jesus was passing through, Zacchaeus, who climbed in a tree hoping to get a look at the Savior, and as he came to the place, Jesus, looking up, he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay in your house. And he hurried and came down and received him rejoicing. It was a marvelous day as salvation came to the house of Zacchaeus. But the Pharisees, the religious ones who watched it, who knew Zacchaeus in his past, did not share in the rejoicing. We'll discover more about this marvelous story of salvation in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 19. Francis Paul has joined us for our fellowship today. Francis, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much. It's always a privilege to be here. I really like this story of Zacchaeus, Francis, and as it turns out, uh, the kind of tax collector that Zacchaeus represented, being the chief tax collector, put him in the category of being the most despised of persons. He was really little more than a carpetbagger, I think would be a term that we could relate to, uh, who would buy a district from the Roman government and then extort an exorbitant tax from the people and be able to pocket all of the difference. So no doubt he was hated by virtually everyone. And uh, in a sense, that makes this story even more poignant, doesn't it? It certainly does. You begin to realize what a despicable person this was in the eyes of all the community. It's like the doorbell rings and somebody says, the tax man is here. Right. You know how you would feel. And so uh, I think the reaction of the Pharisees and the religious ones is somewhat understandable. But the Lord Jesus was not overly put off because he had come, uh, as we've seen now throughout the Gospel of Luke, to announce and to proclaim and to usher in the age of Jubilee which was really a release of captivity to all of the bound ones and uh, the restoration of the enjoyment of our proper inheritance. So probably no one needed this jubilee more than uh, our friend Zacchaeus. Yes, he's in a position, probably he's not even uh, fully aware himself at the beginning, but he's in a position where he needs this jubilee more than most. Francis, why don't we get right to it? Another case came up which has never been recorded in the other three Gospels, Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, he was one of the top sinners. Chief sinner, right? He made a good fortune. He became rich by being sinful. In 314, that was John the Baptist's word. You tax collectors extorted people. 
You all understand this word, right? A very ugly word. The tax collectors increase the tax of those unable to pay and then charge high interest to extort people. He was such a man, rich by being simple. Now he is going to make a full restitution to clear up his past. He was desiring to see this Jesus. Verse 4, and he ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree. And as Jesus came to the place, Jesus looked up. You see, the Savior took the lead today and said to him, Hurry, come down. I like to stay in how today. This is the high standard of morality in saving sinners. Nothing done by the sinner. Everything was done by the Savior. Then he came down rejoicing. Surely, you know, he was an isolated person, despised by the Jewish community to the uttermost, especially the Pharisees would not care for him. In their eyes, he was more dirty than a leper. But in front of such a big crowd, the Savior would say, I will stay in your house. Francis, uh, probably Zacchaeus was not the only one who was shocked by the Lord Jesus as he announced to, to everyone publicly that he that day wanted to come and stay in Zacchaeus' house. One thing that struck me was Zacchaeus' response. In verse 8 it says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, half of my possessions, Lord, I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore four times as much. This is an indication that something very deep and very genuine had taken place in this, this sinful man, wasn't it? It certainly seems that way because Jesus just looks up that tree and sees Zacchaeus. And he says, hurry and come down, for I must go to your house today. I don't know which word struck him the most, but the word that strikes me the most is that he said, I must go to your house today. Reminds me of John 4, when he must go through Samaria to get that sinful woman. Right. The Lord was always moving in a must-do way. He was always carrying out God's will in a, I would say, very aggressive way. So when he told uh, Zacchaeus to come down out of that tree that he must go to his house today, Zacchaeus obviously came down hurriedly as the Lord told him because at this verse you quoted, he's standing. In other words, he stood there and he responded to the Lord. The Lord hadn't said any more than just come down, I'm going to your house today. Right. And uh, this caused him to get, start making confessions and start uncovering his past and his sinfulness. It's quite interesting in that the very presence of the Lord, speaking one little word to him, drew out this kind of conviction. It must have really touched his conscience in a deep way. It's logical to think that he had been dealing something with his conscience up to this point because he wanted to see Jesus. He heard about him. So there's something here. So when Jesus himself saw him first, and told him to come down quickly, that he must stay at his house. This really touched him, and he began to unload all his guilt and all of his shame and start making confession. 
as he is uh, scampering down this tree, you can uh, almost hear the wheels turning in his <laughs> right. mind. What am I going to say when I get to him? Yeah, and and right. when he got there, he had to, as you said, standing there before the light of light, mm-hmm. uh, he confesses all, opens up, and really uh, demonstrates a, a dynamic salvation, one that caused him not just to repent, but really to restore all that he had taken through ill-gotten means. This is the kind of salvation that uh, uh, we need to see in our situation today, isn't it? Yes, that and even more, because you see him, even though he's confessing, but he's still justifying himself. He said, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have done anything wrong, taken anything in a wrong way, I restore that fourfold. And that proves also that he knew the law, because that's what the law required. Moses' law in the Old Testament was to restore fourfold anything they had taken. So he's confessing with kind of a justifying in it, but at least he's opening up something about himself here. Francis, uh, we're going to stay with Zacchaeus and the Lord Jesus in his house. Uh, let's go back to Witness Lee. Listen, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, just little time he recognized the Savior as his Lord. Said to the Lord, behold, the half of my possessions, Lord, I give to the poor. What is this? Do you believe he has heard all the talks on the long journey about uh, the earthly possessions? No, he never heard. But why, right away, in responding to the Savior's word, he said, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. This is the dynamic power of the Lord's salvation. And uh, this salvation is just the Lord himself because verse 9 says, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. When I came, the salvation came. When I stay, the salvation stays. What caused the chaos to respond that way? Because you have to know there was a dynamic power of this man Savior. It was the Holy Spirit because he was ministering Jubilee by the Holy Spirit. Oh, the Lord has appointed me and his Spirit upon me that I declare, proclaim the Jubilee to all the oppressed ones. You have to realize in the eyes of the Pharisees, Zacchaeus was a top sinner. But in the eyes of the man Savior, he was a captive. He was under oppression. And the Savior came purposely to seek and save such a lost one. Francis, I love how he uh, encapsulated the Jubilee here. We use this term religion as a negative term very often in the context of our speaking these messages because the Lord Jesus put himself in opposition to religion, or religion, I would say, put themselves in opposition to the Lord Jesus. Mm -hmm. A lot of times people will ask us, what do you mean by that when you speak negatively of religion? I think he just said it. Religion, the Pharisees saw Zacchaeus as the top sinner. The Lord Jesus saw him as a captive in need of the Jubilee. What a difference in perspective. That is really quite a touching point. Realize how the Lord sees us 
is not like how others see us. Francis developed this point about the Jubilee, how the Lord Jesus was ministering the Jubilee at this stage by the Holy Spirit, and this was what was affecting, actually, Zacchaeus in this dynamic salvation. We have to realize that uh, this is the the very way the Lord came in his beginning of his ministry as brought out in the Gospel of Luke. He brought the Jubilee, that is, the freedom from all the failures, all the past, all the enslavement that uh, the Jews were in. He came to pronounce a word of Jubilee, and that was a powerful word. So when he spoke this word, salvation has come to this house, then that really uh, touched Zacchaeus, and it was a liberating touch. There was power in that, that comes when you meet the Lord Jesus. You just sense a power that exposes you, but at the same time comforts you, forgives you, and draws you into a a sphere of reality. And you're willing to confess your need, and you're happy. Even when he came down out of the tree, he was rejoicing to receive him. Right. So that shows the light was shining brightly. At this point in chapter 19, the Lord Jesus now turns and tells a parable. Uh, We pick it up in verse 11. It says, And as they were listening to these things, he spoke further a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, and they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Mm -hmm. He said, therefore, a certain man of noble birth went to a distant country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called ten of his own slaves and gave them ten minas. And uh, our footnote in the recovery version says a mina is equal to 100 drachmas or 100 days wages. And he said to them, do business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent an envoy after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. And when he came back, having received the kingdom, he commanded that those slaves to whom he had given the money should be called to him so that he might know what they had gained by doing business. And the first appeared saying, master, your mina has gained ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good slave, because you have become faithful in the least, have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Your mina master has made five minas. And he said to this one as well, And you be over five cities. And the other came, saying, Master, behold your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a harsh man. You withdraw what you did not deposit, and you reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, Out of your mouth I will judge you, wicked slave. You knew that I am a harsh man, withdrawing what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And when I came, I would have collected it with interest. And to those standing by, he said, Take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. Hmm. Francis, a strong word here. Yeah, surely is. About what we do with what the Lord has deposited to us. Amen. First, you see a real picture here of a chief sinner getting saved and coming to a a position where he's willing to confess all his past and what he is and receive forgiveness and, I would say, cleansing and become a saved person. He's entered into a jubilee. But it's not just that much, but this other parable really brings out the fact that once we are saved by the Lord's grace and his mercy, Mm -hmm. then there is such a thing as serving faithfully with what he's given us. And here in this particular parable, he gives an equal amount to each one of these three slaves, which is uh, another look at how the Lord expects from us to use what he's given us. And they go out and do business, as he said, 
do business while he's away so that when he comes back, he would have the gain that they had gotten. Francis, uh, we're going to go to Witness Lee. He'll develop this a bit more, and we'll have a chance to have a little more fellowship on this very important point at the end of the program. This parable resembles the one in Matthew 25. There's only a little difference. In Matthew 25, different various talents are given to different persons according to each one's ability. But here, the uh, gifts were given equally according to the common salvation. But the main point in these two parables is the same. That is, after being saved, we have to serve faithfully. We have to use what we have been given with. We have been given ways the divine life. We have been given ways the Holy Spirit. And all the attributes of the divine life and all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So now we must use these gifts as capital money to do some business, to make some money, to make some profit. Two of the three categories, they all did such a business. And they made a profit. And then they got the reward. And what will be the reward? That is to rule over ten cities. Or over five cities. No doubt. Surely there is a strong indication that the overcoming saints will be rewarded with the reigning power. The ruling power, that is the power of the king. To rule over ten cities, to rule over five cities, that is also the great part of the enjoyment of your last inheritance as your jubilee. Could you follow me? To rule over ten cities or five cities is a part of the enjoyment of jubilee. This is your right recovered for you to enjoy your inheritance in the coming kingdom. This is why I told you that Jubilee today is just a foretaste. Then in the next age, it will be a fuller enjoyment. And practically, we will enjoy the earth. As the Bible in the New Testament tells us, we will inherit the earth. We will rule over some of the cities. And this will be our enjoyment of the kingdom of God. Don't forget, the saved ones should be faithful in serving the Lord. Otherwise, you will miss the mark of the reward in the coming kingdom. That means you may have a participation in the Jubilee today, but you will lose it in the coming age. Just be careful and be warned. Francis, it's very interesting. Uh, you go back into Luke through the great parables that we've seen. Uh, of course, we had the Good Samaritan early on, and then we had the parable of the uh, uh, prodigal son in chapter 15. And this story here today about Zacchaeus, all stories of salvation and marvelous uh, pictures opening up the matter of salvation. In each case in Luke, it's followed by a strong parable on service. Uh, how do these two relate to each other? Why this, uh, this order, this connection, seems to be uh, the pattern here? Well, I think uh, 
too many times salvation is taken as just a, a gift, which it is, a gift from God, and that's it. Well, all responsibility is gone. All guilt is gone. We're forgiven. We're cleansed. We're fit for God's presence and everything. But there's much more to it than that. The reason for this parable is because there is a serving life to follow. That means we were regenerated to be a participant in God's business. Mm. And we have a responsibility to use the gifts that he's given us. And by gifts, I don't mean the ability to sing or the ability to play a piano or something like that. I'm talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of life, and the gift of the Word of God, and the gift of uh, being able to speak the Word and bring others to Christ. So we use these gifts to multiply the gift that God has given us so that it will be something for the Lord's enjoyment himself. But what we enjoy now is a foretaste of this great jubilee. But in the coming age, if we're faithful to the Lord, we will enjoy a full taste and we'll have rewards with authority to reign over the cities, as he pointed out here. But this is something much more than just initial salvation, and it's very, very important that we realize that there is a reward and there is a punishment if we don't uh, follow the Lord in service as well as in believing. I think that uh, if we go back now and and sort of review the Gospel of Luke as we have seen it, in each case, uh, with a parable about service with the promise of reward or punishment— based not upon whether or not we received him as salvation. These, since these parables all followed the stories of ones who did receive salvation, it must mean these are parables that are related to the living of his saved ones. And the matter of the reward uh, for the faithful ones or a punishment or a suffering of loss to those who are not faithful, these are sober words that accompany the proclamation of the Jubilee, aren't they? Yes, they are. And we certainly need to take heed. And as Brother Lee said in his last word, here. He said, uh, we need to listen to this, take heed, and be warned. Well, we um, once again have run out of time, but not before uh, the Lord has been very merciful in opening up another passage of the Bible that uh, maybe we've uh, read a number of times. I think the story of Zacchaeus is a, is a favorite Sunday school story and, and one most of our listeners are probably familiar with to some degree. But to see it now in this context, once again, I am just... Uh, delighted that that the Lord has been so merciful to grant us this kind of light in this ministry and given us the opportunity to share it with so many others. It's so good that we could have a ministry that would bring all these things to light for us. Well, we uh, would take that, I think, as our cue to mention the printed Life Study messages that are available that accompany our radio programs. They uh, go in much greater detail. There are 79 messages in total in the Gospel of Luke, the Life Study, and each one is just a gem, and we hope you'll contact us. I'd like to pass on our toll-free number with our invitation that you take a moment and give us a call. It's 1-888-LIFE-STUDY, 888-543-3788. You can write to us, of course, Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. And our email address is radio at lsm.org. And for Francis Ball today, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. If you'd like to read the works of Witness Lee and Watchman Nee, just visit our website 
ministrybooks.org. From there, you'll find over 600 complete titles available to read online free of charge. Witness Lee's ministry stood squarely on the shoulders of his mentor and co-worker, Watchman Nee, as well as those of countless ministers of the New Testament throughout the ages. The riches contained in his life study of the Bible represent the top, the cream of his 70-plus years of ministry and range in topic from lessons for new believers to commentary and exposition on passages from every book of the Bible but they all contain practical and deeper truths about the Christian life. Again, this wonderful online resource is available to you free of charge at ministrybooks.org. If you have questions or comments about this ministry or the program you heard today, email us radio at lsm.org or call us toll free, 888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 1-888-543. 3788. Thanks for listening today. What does it really mean to be born again? Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John chapter 3, verse 3. To be born anew is to be born from above, from heaven. That is to be born from God who is in heaven. The kingdom of God is the reign of God. It is a divine realm to be entered into, a realm that requires the divine life. Only the divine life can realize the divine things. Hence, for one to see or to enter into the kingdom of God requires that he be regenerated with the divine life. Scripture, John 3, verse 3, and commentary from the New Testament Recovery Version published by Living Stream Ministry. For more information, visit lsm.org.